Well, I've had the privilege of preaching in uh, several different environments in several different places. But I'll tell you one that uh, brings back uh, not so good memories is when I was in seminary in Dr. McDill's class. And in Dr. McDill's class, uh, we had to preach without notes a seven-minute sermon. So a seven-minute sermon, no notes. And I decided, which was also against the rules, I decided to preach on Philippians 1.6. We really shouldn't choose one verse. I knew that, but I thought, how in the world will I remember an entire sermon and, uh, not, uh, 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 and, and preach a whole passage? So I chose Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So that's what I chose to preach on. I had three points. I remember them today. You can be confident because God started the work. You can be confident because God finishes the work. And you can be confident because Jesus is coming back. Three great points, and yes, you can draw them from Philippians 1.6. The only problem is when I got to the second point, I forgot it completely. So I'm standing there, just a group of students in this weird environment to preach in in the first place. I forgot the second point. I completely made it up, hoping that he wouldn't notice. When my seven minutes were up, then you had the wonderful time where they gave you feedback on the preaching. It was horrible, and they realized, Dr. McDill said, what happened to your second point? He realized I had completely forgotten it. Well, I've entitled today's sermon, The Second Point, and the reason I have is because the second point of that sermon 25 plus years ago is the whole point of this sermon. God finishes what he starts. God finishes what he starts God does not start anything that he does not complete. He is a finishing God. And Psalm 138 bears this out in a significant way. Now, when you look at, when you look at this psalm and you look at our situation, you discover a God who is still in control. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that in the sovereignty of God, the coronavirus will only do what God allows it to do. He is not caught off guard by our current circumstances. So let's jump into this psalm, and as we read the psalms, we have to ask two questions. The first and the second are both hard at times to figure out. Question number one is this. What circumstance was this psalm written in? Question number two, why is it where it is in the book of Psalms, in the Psalter? Why is it here? We don't know the circumstances of Psalm 138, but scholars believe that this section of Psalms was reserved and toward the end because it was used by the Israelites when they returned from exile. And so when they came back from exile, that 
awful 70 years where they were away from their homeland, they came back. This is one of the Psalms that was used during that 70-year period or during that time of return. So keep that in your mind. They have freshly come home. They have seen the temple that has been rebuilt. The temple was not its former glory. Some rejoiced who had never seen a temple. They were born over in Babylon. Others wept. But if this psalm was used then, they all thanked God. And so gratitude these days is a radical notion this morning we learned three, three reasons that you can thank God, and they're from Psalm 138. You can thank God because he answers the desperate. David says, I give thanks to you, O God, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. That's a fascinating phrase. Don't have time to jump completely into it. But if you go to 1 Samuel 26, 17 through 20, David is on the run from Saul. And as he is on the run from Saul, hiding out, he and Saul have a conversation. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O King. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? In other words, Saul, why are you chasing me down? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I, have, that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, here it is, go serve other gods. David was driven out and he was being taunted by these men who were asking the question, where is your God now? Where is he now? And perhaps you're hearing that question roll through your mind now. Go serve other gods now. Therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek, seek a single flea. That's how David referred to himself, a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains David saw himself as a single flea trying to get away from Saul. He was fleeing for his life, being taunted to go serve other gods. You will be tempted too. These days will not come without temptation. Our gods die hard Perhaps some of you, as you are no longer able to view sports you normally view, see maybe that those things had too big of a spot, a space in your life. Old gods die hard. David continues, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. What does that mean? 
God's name is who he is. His word is how he acts on who he is. The two are inextricably linked together. You see, it's one thing to know the name of God, who he is. It's completely another to trust that name and respond to who he is. For example, we sing a song here, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. My God, that is who you are. We say, God, that is your name. But David's next words show how God acts on who he is. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. God didn't put David on hold. God didn't patch David over to a, a senior angel. No, on the day that David called, God answered. Why? Because he is an answering God. It is who he is. That is his name, and that is what he does. One commentator has said, in God's love, he responds to those who call on him. In God's power, he makes them what they otherwise could not be. You see this phrase, my strength of soul you increased? It's a pretty ardent phrase. It literally means you made me fierce. You made me fearless, David, who fled for his life. I must say to you this morning that if you and I are going to be fearless in the face of fear, fear, God will have to do that for us. He will have to work deep down, and some of you perhaps have been far from him. You haven't been in the word. This is, this is revealing to you that the source of your strength on any normal day has been enough, but all of a sudden you're running low, you're running dry. Could I say to you this morning, that there is a God who is a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. He longs, desires to make us fierce. Beginning tomorrow on my blog I mentioned earlier, enoughfortoday.org, I'm going to begin a series on the names of God just to draw us into who he is so that out of that we can live and have that fierceness, that strength, that inner strength of soul that we need. In God's love, he responds to those who call on him. In his power, he makes us what we otherwise could not be. You can thank God because he answers the desperate. Secondly, you can thank God because he regards the lowly. Look at this, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. David, we don't know if he's a king when he writes this. We don't know if he's fleeing for his life. We just don't simply know. But he says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. 
For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. When God strengthens your soul, he lengthens your reach. This is what happens. God strengthened David's soul. And all of a sudden, other kings took notice. When God strengthens your soul, he lengthens your reach. He puts you in places and puts you in your neighborhoods and puts you in front of your sons and daughters and people who may not have listened to you will listen to you today. I say to you, church, do not waste this opportunity for the gospel. What an opportunity we have. David is very specific here about how God acts. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. This is the David who referred to himself to King Saul as a flea. The greatness of God's glory is revealed in the fact that he stoops to the lowly. We've seen this. If the president, whoever that may be, stops to pick up a kid, the cameras zoom in. Why? Here is somebody of high position who associates with someone who isn't. Think of Henry Ford stopping to repair someone's car. Getting his hands greasy. Think of Bill Gates sitting down to help you navigate your computer issues. Just you. Think of a basketball star or a football star or tennis, who, whatever it may be, who stops and signs the autograph or what if LeBron James spends an hour with an eight-year-old teaching her how to handle the ball? Do you know what happens in our estimation of LeBron James or Bill Gates or Henry Ford or the president? Their glory goes up in our minds. Why? Because they're high and they regard the lowly. That's what David is touching on here. God's glory is not revealed only in his otherness, only in his distance, God's glory is further revealed in that he is so high and holy and mighty that he comes near. That's why the ultimate greatness of the glory of God is the cross. It is why his ultimate greatness, his ultimate greatness is the cross, the ultimate coming down of glory turning into groan. When Jesus came to planet earth, he left being the center of attention. He left being this glorious worshiped God. And he took on our skin 
and he became one of us. And he suffered. And he ultimately faced rejection from the Father. God's most glorious moment in history is also his worst. That's what David talks about. He regards the lowly. He regards, he comes down, he steps into, he takes on, he clothed himself with our humanity. We can be thankful for that. We can't stop being thankful for that, even today. Thirdly, let me pause before I go to my next thought. If you are watching and you have never received Christ, you, perhaps in your high position, have never stooped to admit your sin, to believe that God sent Jesus to die for you? Does God still know who you are? Yeah. But according to the psalmist, he does from afar. Could I say something to you this morning? The God I know, the Jesus we worship, he especially now doesn't want to know you from afar. Oh, he wants to come in close. He wants to come to your living room. He wants to come to your workstation. He wants to come to wherever you are this morning. He wants to make your heart his home. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to speak peace. He wants to speak comfort. He wants to give to you everything that the Father has for you. And all you need to do is admit your sin, lower yourself, and believe that Jesus died for you, and receive him as your Savior, and he will come, and he will make our lowly hearts his home. Three. You can thank God because he fulfills. I love this part of the psalm. Translators have grappled with this part, and here's why. Look at verse 8. There the, the translators provide the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. But the word purpose is not in the original language. I went looking at other translations. The ESV, which I'm using, says his purpose. The King James says, the Lord will prefer, perfect that which concerneth me. Uh, the NIV says, the Lord will vindicate me. The message paraphrase says, the Lord will finish what you started in me. The, the newer translation, the Holman, says, the Lord will fulfill and they 
true to the original text, put in parentheses, in the brackets, his purpose for me. Why? It's not in the original language anywhere. I went back and I looked at the Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm not sure how many times I went back to this, looking at this word, looking at this word. What in the world is being said here by the psalmist, and why is there no object? Like, why is the Lord will fulfill? What? Here's what I am convinced of. David says at the end, God fulfills, period, period. He simply fulfills. He's enough. I think one of the things that plagues our culture in light of today is, so I want to make up a word, the Googleization of us. We think we should know everything now. This is a recent phenomenon. However old you are, years ago, unless somebody came by your house selling Britannica encyclopedias, you didn't know stuff until you went to school and asked. It's true. And now, I'm afraid we've fooled ourselves into thinking we know more than we do. And perhaps our overabundance of factual knowledge has decreased and, in, and depleted our faith. And all of a sudden, we navigate the unknown, and it's super uncomfortable to us. So I encourage you to go back to what you know. God fulfills. God finishes what he starts. Just, just think, we won't do it today, but think back through Scripture. He started day one, and about six days he had created. He sent Moses, and he got Israel out of Egypt. He said, I'll raise up a king, and King David was it, though he fled like a flea from a powerful king. God fulfills. And we're right back to where we started. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God will finish what he starts. I forgot that in my sermon a long time ago. And I'm afraid perhaps in the flood of news, you may have too. You may have forgotten that God finishes 
what he starts. So I'm going to encourage you as we are done here with two things. Verse 8 is a legitimate prayer, the last line. And I'm going to encourage you to pray it. God, do not forsake the work of your hands. Some of you own businesses that are struggling. Some of you have been laid off of work. It is fine and good. Some of you are hospitalized and can't have visitors. It is fine and good to pray to God. Do not forsake the work of your hands. God, do not stop what you've started. Do not leave the piece of pottery half done. It's fine to pray that. That's how David ends this psalm. Do not forsake the work of your hands. As a matter of fact, you ought to pray this for our county. We are praying this for one another as churches. We are praying this for the people of this county, this space that God has given us. And for those of you who come to our church and you come from other counties, we are praying this for you. And you are going to hear this week of how we're going to band together now in a wave of prayer as God's people. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Second thing, this week, take something. When Hannah, our daughter, used to live with us, she would write scriptures on the mirror in her bathroom. Reminders, you don't know how she saw in the mirror, but there was stuff on it. Whatever's best for you, Philippians 1 6, memorize. Put it on a card, put it on a mirror, memorize it. And when your mind wanders, let it wander there. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. And then when I finish and the service ends, our staff is here. If you need prayer now, you need to let somebody on Facebook know and we'd be glad to touch base with you. We'll be here till noon. And so feel free to do that, to reach out and to let us know we are here to pray for you and lift you up. Father, I remember though it pales in comparison to the reality that we face now, the very fear I felt years ago <laughs> and that critical point I forgot. You finish what you start. 
Thank you for the reminder again this week from your word that God, you indeed are a finisher. Lord, I pray that desperate people would cry out to you even now. I pray that the lost would become low and receive you as Savior. And God, do not forsake the work of your hands. Jesus, thank you that you did not forsake the work of the Father's hands, died, rose, ascended, and you are coming back, perhaps sooner than any of us think. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus.